it. Um, hey, y'all, like Jessica said, my name's Austin. I'm pumped to be here with you guys all week. I love this place. Uh, Team Lake is near and dear to my heart. I've been coming up here since I was about 10 years old uh, in a variety of different ways. I used to work through Meadowlands in Iceland here, and so I love skiing. And that opener, can y'all give it up for them one more time? That was awesome. It's, it's not every day you get to see dogs, like, singing and dancing and doing it like that. It's just, it's, it's amazing. I love this place. Um, but I, I'm stoked to hang out with you guys this week. We're going to be together all week. I want to show you a couple of pictures. Um, this is my family right here. We took this yesterday. This is our little Easter photo right here. And I kid you not, okay? So Biscuit was up here, and he said he is risen, and who guys said? Okay, I was driving to church yesterday. I'm a pastor down in San Diego, and I looked at Piper, who's my oldest daughter right there. She's two and a half, and I said, Piper, he is risen. And she went, yeah! That was her response. So that's my new favorite response to he is risen, right? He is, he is risen indeed is dead. The new response is now just, yeah, as loud as you can, right? And then this is our, uh, we had Phoebe right here. Two and a half weeks ago, y'all. Two and a half weeks old. So... You'll see us kind of walking around camp. I got one more picture of Piper right there. That is, she's all attitude and sass right now. So if you see her, give her a high five. She'd love to say hi to you. Um, but yeah, my wife and I, we live down in San Diego. I'm a youth pastor down there. I work with ninth and 10th grade students, uh, but I'm not originally from there. I, I kind of grew up all around California. I originally was born in the Bay Area where all my sports loyalties lie. So I'm a big San Francisco Giants fan. Any Giants fans? Where are my Dodger fans out there? Okay, here's here's the crazy part. I actually think the Giants are playing the Dodgers like right now. So little little three game series. We'll see what happens this week. But um, I'm also this one's like a little more controversial. I'm also like a huge Raiders fan. Yeah, my man. I know, I know, I know, I know, I know. Hey, hey, but I'm I am I am walking talking proof that you can be a Raiders fan and love Jesus. It's possible, y'all. It's possible. But I I lived in the Bay Area for a little bit, and then my family, we actually moved from California down to a place called Quito, Ecuador, and I spent most of my life down in South America. I'm, I'm a missionary kid from down there. So gr I loved growing up down there. I played soccer, basketball, volleyball, like a huge – I loved sports. Uh, my family had a ton of pets growing up. We had two parrots named Dumb and Dumber. I kid you not. I kid you not. Um, we had a dog named Seamus. Uh, we had a cat named O'Malley. And then uh, we actually, I know, I know O'Malley, O'Malley. But we had a monkey, y'all, growing up. We had this little, like, pocket Fu Manchu mustache monkey. The thing was awesome. And get this. My, my dad brought him home. And us kids got together and we, like, brainstormed for forever on what we wanted to name our monkey. And in a local tribal language, we named our monkey Seamus, which means monkey y'all i know i know i know we were brilliant kids but i moved back to the u.s when i turned 18 i went to biola university i played soccer there um hey shout out go eagles and uh i i love living in san diego now i love working with students and i love this theme that biscuit just introduced to you guys because this is such an important conversation and i want to start tonight i want to start tonight by just making two commitments to you and then asking for one commitment in return, okay? So here's my two commitments to you. Number one, okay, number one, everything we talk about this week is gonna be rooted and grounded in this book right here, okay? Everything we talk about all week, okay? 
And uh, cool, yeah, sure, you can applaud for that. Uh, but here's here's why. I don't I don't want to stand up here and go, hey, here's some of my thoughts, or here's some like wise teachings on life, or here's some advice from my 30 years on earth. No, like, I don't want to stand up here this week and do that. I want to stand up here this week and go, hey, let me tell you an aspect, a part of the greatest story that has ever been told that's hardly ever told in its entirety. See, now, a, a lot of you are probably somewhat familiar with this book, and yet I want to remind us all week long that this book, Genesis to Revelation, do we remember, do we realize that this is actually 66 different books written by 40 different authors on three different continents in three different languages over the span of about 2,000 years? And that tells one story. And, and, it, and if you're anything like me, like I, I grew up around the church, my dad was a pastor, my parents were missionaries, and it's really easy to look at the Bible or to go to a chapel or to come to a camp like this and for a guy to stand up on stage and to open up the Bible and go like, cool, I've heard it, right, like for sure. And like maybe you were even sitting there and as the characters come up on stage, you were like, Lazarus, that's Jesus, that's Judge Judy, right? Like you knew off the top, that's like my favorite answer I've ever heard at a camp, by the way. Whoever you are, I love you, okay? Right, but this was like, maybe you're sitting here going, I know, I know this story. I know who this God is. And my commitment to you this week is what I needed to hear when I was in junior high is I, I didn't, like I was sitting there. I'm you. I, was, I went to a Christian school. I sat through all the chapels. My parents were missionaries. My parents were pastors. I remember sitting going, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so my commitment to you is I'm not going to stand up here and just go, hey, let me tell you some life advice or some philosophical ideology. I want to dive into this book, and I want to go, let, let's talk about truth. So that's my first commitment. All week long, everything we talk about is going to come straight from here. And commitment number two is, um, do we have any fifth graders in the room? Hey, let's go, my man, okay? Um, any sixth graders in the room? Hey, any seventh graders in the room? And last, la last but not least, make some noise, eighth graders. Okay, all right, all right. That's what's up, that's what's up. Okay, here's my second commitment to you. Whether you're in fifth grade, sixth grade, seventh grade, or eighth grade, all week long, okay, all week long, when we, when we come into this room, I'm going to treat you like adults. And here's why. Okay, here's why. I think you're ready for it. See, I, I work with students, and I, and I have the privilege of coming up to places like Plume Lake and teaching, and I get to work with junior high students all the time. And here's what I believe. I believe y'all are ready for it. And I've had friends of mine that are like, hey, where are you going this week? And I'm like, oh, I'm, I'm going up to this place called Hume. And they're like, what are you doing? I'm like, oh, I'm teaching uh, the Bible to fifth graders and sixth graders and seventh graders and eighth graders. And they're like, wait, what? Aren't they just going to, like, mess around the whole chapel? Aren't they just going to, like, elbow the person next to them and talk the whole time and, like, doze off all I'm like, no, no, no. I've seen it. I've seen it time after time after time that you're ready to be spoken to like adults because you're ready to make adult decisions. And so I'm not going to stand up here weekend or this week and go like, listen, boys and girls, there's a God. And you're like, oh, my God. And he loves you. You're like, can we please leave, right? I'm not going to do that. All week long, we're going to dive into this book, and I'm going to treat you like adults, okay? So those are my two commitments. Number one, everything I talk about is going to come straight from the Bible. Number two, I'm going to treat you like adults. Here's the one commitment I ask in return. 
Okay, so every eye in the room on me right now. Every eye in the room, look up at me real quick, okay? Here's the one commitment I ask in return. That this week, whether you are the kid that like, has gone to Christian school your whole life and you go to church all the time. And when Biscuit was like, he is risen, you were like, he is risen indeed, right? Like, you know everything there is to know about church. Or, or maybe you're the student in this room that's like, yeah, I go to Christian school, but like, I, I don't know. I don't know if I believe in this God. I don't know if I believe in this Bible. I struggle with this. Wherever you fall on that spectrum, the one commitment I ask back from you this week is that you lean in. If you are sitting here going, I know this story, I know this Bible, I know this God, friend, I believe wholeheartedly that the God of the universe wants to meet you this week and reveal something new about himself. My grandpa is 86 years old, and I just got to talk to him on the phone. He was, he's from Argentina originally. His parents were missionaries down there. He immigrated to the U.S. on a ship when he was 17. And I got to talk to my grandpa this last week at 86 years old, and he's telling me the things that he's learning about God. You know how cool that is? At 86, he's going, son, let me tell you the ways that I'm opening up God's word, and he's still revealing himself to me. So in fifth grade, sixth grade, seventh grade, eighth grade, I believe wholeheartedly, if you lean in this week, the God of the universe wants to meet you. He wants to reveal himself to you. He wants to build his relationship with you. And if you're sitting in here and you have doubts, you have questions, there's not a better place to be. Like you're up at a mountain for a week without distractions with these adults, leaders like that have come up. They've given up a week of their lives to come and to be with you to answer those kind of questions. Like the coolest, some of my favorite conversations I've ever had in this building, in this chapel, are ones where a student comes up to me and goes, I don't know if I believe in this God. I'm struggling with this Bible. The best thing you can do is wrestle and struggle. The worst thing you can do is just go, eh whatever eh, does it even matter right the best thing you can do is lean in and wrestle so two commitments i make to you number one everything i teach you is going to come from the bible straight from here number two i'm going to treat you like adults the one commitment i ask back okay if you're sitting in your chair and you're starting to feel those like oh that pasta is settling in right now right just just do just like oh, wake yourself up okay and if if you know friend like i'm you know who you are. If you know you got that, like, one homie in this room that if you two sit next together, you're going to get the, like, you're going to get the, like, quiet laughters. You know what I'm talking about? Like, something they said isn't even that funny, but because it's quiet and you're not supposed to laugh, you're sitting there and you're, like, you're, like, about to pee your pants and you're, like, don't laugh, right? Like, we all have those friends. We all have the friend where you're sitting next to them and you're, okay, here's the thing. The commitment I'm asking back from you don't sit next to him. Hey, when you come into chapel next time, don't sit next to her. Change seats. Find yourself a new spot. Why? The one thing I ask back from you this week. The one thing I'm asking back. Lean in, okay? Hey, if you have your Bibles, let me see it. Up in the ayer. Let me see them. Let me see them. Raise them high, okay? Greatest story ever told. Open up to the book of John. John chapter 1. Your Bible's got an Old Testament. Your Bible's got an Old Testament and a New Testament. Your New Testament, kind of halfway through, starts with four guys' names. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Okay? Okay, these four books. These four books.
Come back to me, okay? These four books are called the Gospels. Hey, we're going to be in John chapter 1. These four books are called the Gospels. Does anybody know what that word gospel means? What does it mean? Good news. That's what's up, okay? And that's how it should be said, too. Okay, hey, if I, <coughs> if I walked up to you, if I walked up to you and said, hey, what's your name? Cadence. That's a really cool name. Okay, if I walked up to you, Cadence, and I said, hey, Cadence, I've got some good news for you. Nobody would be like, what? Ooh, what is it, right? No, I, I love how you said it. I, when I asked you the question, I said, what does the word gospel mean? You said, it's the good news, right? It, this, is, this is absolutely what we celebrated yesterday. That when we say, he is risen, and my daughter goes, yeah, right? Or y'all go, he is risen indeed. The good news that Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John teaches is the life, death, resurrection of Jesus. But here's what I love about the book of John. And I love this law and order theme, and I love the book of John because John writes different than any of the other Gospels, right? The, the book of Matthew, he's writing to a Jewish audience who cared about the Old Testament. They understood the Old Testament. So everything Matthew starts with is the lineage of Jesus. And he goes, let me tie Jesus into this Jewish culture. Mark is like your bang-bang gospel. There's only 16 books, and so Mark is concerned with getting through the story as quickly as possible. Everything is immediately this, and immediately that, and immediately this, and everything Mark is trying to do is build a case for who this Jesus character is. Then Luke is a doctor, okay? Any of your parents, uncles, aunts, like doctors or nurses or anything like that? Okay, for those of you with your hands up, you know, you know, in the medical profession, details matter a whole lot, right? My father's an orthopedic trauma surgeon, and he gets flown all over the world because he's one of the best at these, like, detailed bone emergency surgeries. And in, the, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a surgery, it's, it's not like you can just be like, eh, good enough, right? No, like, in a surgery, the smallest of details matters. So when Luke goes to write his gospel, he's, he says, my dear Theophilus, I've taken it upon myself to write a detailed account of the life of Jesus. So Luke goes into all of these details that some of the other Gospels don't write about. And then there's John. And I love the book of John. Right? John, he writes different than any of the other Gospels. John skips Christmas. Right? He, like, he doesn't even write about it. John's one concern, John's one concern it's like a court case. Right? And I love this theme, Paw and Order, because John, he gives away why he's writing it at the end of his book. In John chapter 20, verse 31, he says this. He says, I've written these things down so that you, my reader, might believe in Jesus. And that through believing, you would have life in his name. He's concerned with one thing. He goes, you, fifth grader, sixth grader, seventh grader, eighth grader, you reader of the good news, the gospel of John, he says, I want you to know Jesus. So here's how he starts, okay? John chapter one, verse one. And if you're there in John chapter one, verse one, I need a nice, loud preach. That was weak sauce, okay? If you're in John chapter one, verse one, I need a nice, loud preach. Okay, there we go. All right, John chapter one, verse one says this. In the beginning was the what? Word. 
Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Okay, I'll read the rest of it, okay? Hold on, stay with me. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Okay? So a couple things going on here. All the other gospels start out, and they, they tie in this Christmas story in some way, shape, or form. John starts out, and he goes, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And you're like, huh? What are you talking about, John? But here's what John does, right? If you know your Bible, John goes, in the beginning. And if you know your Bible, as a reader of the book of John, you go, wait a second. This reminds me of something else. Genesis, right? So Genesis 1.1 goes, in the beginning, God. Okay? In the beginning, God. So as we open up the book of John and we go, in the beginning, ah, same beginning of Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. So in the beginning, God created, in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. It says, all things were created through him, and nothing has been made that wasn't made without him. So John chapter 1, verse 1 goes, there's this character, the word. And the word, if you're taking notes tonight, you can just write word equals Jesus. So the very first thing John wants us to do is he wants us to understand that Jesus was in the beginning that he always has existed. So if you get asked the question, where do we first see Jesus in the Bible? A lot of people answer that question as, oh, the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. This is where we first see Jesus. But do you remember when I said the Bible's 66 different books, 40 different authors, written over the span of 2,000 years in three languages on three continents, all telling one story? The, the Bible is all about Jesus. So you could turn to any page in the Bible and go, what does this have to do with Jesus? And there's an answer to that question. The whole Bible points to the story of Jesus. See, the Bible's the greatest story ever told because it's not about what we have to do to get to God. The Bible's a story about what God has done to get to us. So John opens up his gospel, his good news with, in the beginning was the word. This Jesus character he has always existed. He always has been, and he always will be. Number one. Number two, it says that he is the source of life. Right? He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. And without him, nothing was made that has been made. That he is the source of life itself. He is the source of truth, which is what we're putting on trial this week. So this Jesus character, he doesn't just show up in the New Testament. He's been here since the beginning. He always has existed. He always will exist. And number two, he's the source. He's the source of life. He's the source of truth. And then number three, that Jesus existed in the beginning in full equality with God. See, he was in the beginning with the word, and the word was God. See, this is where in our day and age, in our cultural moment, we get tripped up with this sometimes. See, there's no denying that Jesus walked this earth, right? To, to say that Jesus wasn't a real historical figure would be like, hey, y'all know Abraham Lincoln, and you're like, mm, was he, did he walk the earth? 
is he real? You're like, um, yes, right? Like to say that Jesus didn't walk and breathe and teach and, and, and walk the earth as a real human being is to, is, it's like going and saying, hey, this historical character didn't exist and this war didn't happen and the earth is flat. And you go, okay, we can have that conversation, but to tie Jesus to history is not usually the argument. The argument comes in on who is Jesus. And we're going to get to this later on in the week, but this is where we go, okay, well, Jesus was just a good teacher. Well, Jesus was just a, he was just a healer. He was just a, a good example on how we're supposed to live and walk. And this John chapter one, he's going to make his point right out the gate that Jesus always has existed, that he is the source of life itself, and that he existed in the beginning in full equality with God. But here's the problem. Here's where we run into issues. See, if you know Genesis chapter one says in the beginning was in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and then God creates, and then the, the, the peak of his creation is you and I. Genesis chapter 1, verse 28, says that you and I, male and female, we were created in the image of God. And then Genesis chapter 3 happens. Right? The, you've turned the page, and the very first thing that happens as Adam and Eve are walking in the garden is it says that there was this snake Right? And of God's enemy, the devil, slithers into the garden and said these four words that changed the course of history. Did God really say? Did God really say? And when Satan, God's enemy, enters into the garden, his goal in that moment is to get Adam and Eve to question, can I trust God and can I trust what he says? And we see the ripple effect of this thousands of years later, where you and I, do you know what we struggle with? Can I trust God? And can I trust what he says? See, if John is starting out his court case with this Jesus character always has existed, he's the source of life and truth, and he existed in the beginning in full equality with God, we have a very real enemy today that wants to go, uh, can you trust who that God is, and can you trust what he says? See, this is, uh, it's been fascinating for me over the last two years watching this play out with my two-and-a-half-year-old, right? My daughter will wake up at, like, six o'clock in the morning and, like, paddle up to my room and be like, um, Dad, can I have ice cream? And I'm like, no, it's 6 a.m. You can't have ice cream. Now, like, Every once in a while, if you want to do like ice cream for breakfast, knock yourself out. But if you want to be like a healthy human being, nobody in the history of like health blogs has gone, you know what you need to do? Ice cream in the morning, right? Like ice cream for breakfast. It's my secret to staying fit, right? Like nobody says that. So for me as a dad, like in, because I love my daughter, there are so many times where I have to look at my daughter and I have to say no. Right, like today, a uh, homegirl walked up to like a big chunk of snow that was like essentially dark brown, right? Y'all seen that snow around? It's like the dirty, dirt filled, and she just like grabs a clump of it and she's just like, <sighs> and just starts eating it. And I go, oh, Piper, you don't wanna do that. Now, none of you, like if you walked up to my daughter eating like dirt and watched me say no, would be like, what a jerk. <laughs> like you ate, she can't have ice cream and now she can't eat dirt, like 
What a buzzkill, right? Like, none of you are going like, you're a terrible dad. No, if I just let Piper eat whatever she wants, whenever she wants, however she wants it, and just eat dirt, and I was like, ah, eh, whatever. Like, she can live her life however she wants to live her life. None of you would be like, aw, you're such a good dad. No, you'd be like, what is wrong with you? Be responsible, right? Like, step in. See, the most loving thing to do as a dad is I go, hey, I have to create some boundaries here on what you can and cannot do. Why? Because there's a chance at 30 years old that I know more than my two and a half year old. So God enters into the picture and forced love is not love at all. And so he gives us a choice to love and serve him or to not love and serve him. And Satan enters in and goes, can you trust God and can you trust what he says? See, since the very beginning in Genesis chapter 3, God has given us these analogies for who he is. And if our enemy is crafty, which Genesis chapter 3 says he is, then the number one thing our enemy does is if God has an analogy for himself, our enemy attacks that analogy. Right? So if he calls himself God the Father, we currently live in a fatherless generation. Right? Some of you in this room have awesome dads. Others of you in this room, right? unfortunately, your dad is a really bad example. And so when you read in the Bible that God is a father, that's really hard for you. And you go, huh? And our enemy is crafty. And so if God calls himself father, the enemy's gonna enter in and go, I'm gonna disrupt what that means. See, God calls the church his bride. And he goes, I am going to love the church, my people, as a husband loves his wife. That's going to be my bride. And if our enemy is crafty, you know what he does? He enters in, and in 2023, in the U.S., in America, our divorce rate is over 50%. We go, what is marriage? A lot of you in this room might even come from a family where your parents are divorced. And so when you read in the Bible this analogy of the church being his bride, you go, huh, that's hard for me. And the same thing is true when it comes to truth itself. In John chapter 14, verse 6, which we're going to get to later this week, Jesus says, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. Nobody gets to the Father except through me. And in 2023, that same disruption of fatherhood and marriage comes in in our culture, in our day and age, where we hear things like, that's just not my truth. That's your, that can be your truth, that's just not my truth. See, we can hear things in our day and age like, hey, why don't you just live your truth? Do what's right for you. You do you and I'll do me. And the problem with that is this phrase, truth corresponds to reality. Truth corresponds to reality. So when God calls himself truth, we have to do something with that. That can't just be, that's your truth, this is my truth. And so all week long, I want us to wrestle with this. I want us to put this God on trial. I want us to put this truth on trial. So we have a very real enemy that wants to disrupt the way that we view this God. We have a very real enemy that wants to convince you that you cannot trust God and that you cannot trust what he says. My favorite definition of sin right now is this. Sin is our unwillingness to believe that what God wants for us is actually our deepest level of happiness. Right? So when I walk up to my daughter and she wants ice cream in the morning and I say no, 
If I wanted Piper to be happy, what would I give her? If I wanted my daughter to be her deepest level of happiness, which I believe is healthy and pursuing a healthy lifestyle that's going to be sustainable, what do I say? No. No. See, when we enter into how we view God, whether or not you can trust him and whether or not you can trust what he says are maybe the two most important questions we can ask. And I just want to end with this. Uh, For me growing up, when I was in junior high, even when I was in high school, I, I grew up knowing the truth of Scripture. If you would have asked, if you would have said me to me, Austin, in junior high and high school, hey, he is risen, I would have been like, he is risen indeed. I was like the youth group kid. I was the kid that, I'm the youngest of four kids. All three of my older siblings like went to youth group, went to a Christian school. Like My parents were missionaries. I knew all the answers up here. But if I'm being honest with you, for me growing up in the church, I thought to be a Christian, to follow Jesus, meant you lived a boring life now, but you got heaven later. And so I knew at the end of life, like I believe that there is life after this life. And, and from what I know from church and from Christian school, like there's two options. There's a place called heaven and there's a place called hell. And so for me growing up, I thought I have to live a boring life now so that I get heaven later. And I looked around me at my friends that were playing, you know, I was on, I was on these sports teams and as an athlete and I had these friend groups and people that weren't Christians. And I went, man, they seem to be having a whole lot more fun than I am. They can say whatever they want. They can hang out with whoever they want. They can, like, they seem to have this freedom that I feel like I'm missing. And I went, but they get to have all the fun now, but I guess they're going to go to hell later. So I'll choose boring life now and heaven later. And it wasn't until I personally, me, paw in order, put truth on trial, and actually took a dive into this book. It wasn't until I stepped in and went, I'm not just going to let this be my parents' thing, or I'm not just going to let this be the thing I learned at school or at church, but I want to know who this Jesus is. And in John chapter 20, verse 31, when he says, I write these things so that you believe, and that through believing in Jesus, you would have life that's actually life. That's the same John that would say, life and life abundant. See, for me, I was missing who this Jesus actually is and the life that he actually calls us into. And so I just viewed Christianity as boring. A bunch of rules and regulations. A bunch of you shall nots. And I went, ugh, more rules. And my hope and prayer for this week is that this would be a week that you lean in as we open up his word to go, who is this Jesus character? And what is the life that he actually calls us into? If he really pre-existed time, if he really is the source of life and truth itself, if he really is equal with, with God, then let's put him on trial this week and go, what is this life that you're calling us into all about? Pray with me. God, thank you for this week. God, thank you for the opportunity that we have to be up here at a place called Hume. God, thank you that we can be up here without cell phone service, without distractions, in a place as beautiful as this. And with the trees and the lake and the snow, God, would this be a week where we just pause? And we open up your word and we lean into community in a time of worship. God, would this be a time where we do business with you? 
And however we came up to camp, God, that you know each and every one of us so well. You know everything about us, the good, the bad, and the ugly. God, and we ask that we would just be bold enough to meet you this week. Thank you that you invite us in exactly where we're at. We love you. Thanks for loving us first. In Jesus' name we pray.